So we're in the book of Mark, and, you know, it's, it's uh, good that we've been singing these songs because uh, to focus our attention, we talk about the beautiful name of Jesus. And we've looked at this passage a couple times, which is really the driving reason why we're in a series on the book of Mark. And I just kind of bring it up each week because I want to remind us what it is we're trying to do when we look at the life of Jesus. So Paul says this wild thing in his epistle to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not proclaiming to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. In other words, I didn't come with great arguments. I didn't come with a lot of, you know, spelled out really good reasons for you for why you should do this. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that doesn't mean that Paul didn't talk about a lot of things. Or teach about a lot of things. He's saying that he came and everything he did came out of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Everything he talked about. So if he talked about your marriage, he would say, now if you look at the life of Jesus, and you look at the way Jesus has come our direction, and the way Jesus laid down his life at the cross, husbands, you need to lay your life down the way Jesus laid down his life at the cross. If he came to your children, and he said, children... Hey, your parents are speaking to you. They love you. They've asked you to do some things, and they've asked you to be obedient. He wouldn't just say be obedient. He would say, children, do you see the son? What did the son do? Oh, did you see Jesus? He came in humble obedience to the father, submitted to the father. Children, do you see Jesus? Let's go. Everything he did, your marriage, your children, your work, Everything flew out of the purpose and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we ask ourselves in the question, can we come to the life of Jesus himself? Can we look at Jesus and then begin to say, okay, how does that begin to influence the way I talk, the way I work, the way I live, and everything that I do? And that's our hope in this season is to take a long extended season to look at the steps of Jesus, where he goes, what he does, what he says, how he lives what his mission is. So we begin to pull the rest of our lives into alignment with the person and the work of Jesus. So if you've been with us, this is week three, um, and we're just getting to the end of chapter one. If that gives you any idea of where we're going in this series or how long it's going to take us, week three, we're almost done with chapter one, amen? It's awesome and exciting. And in the first week, we saw that Jesus got baptized and the family of God came on display, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was beautiful. The Son in submission to the Father, the Father approving of the Son, I'm well pleased with you, you're beautiful, and the Spirit coming down on the Son and empowering the Son for life. That's the family of God. The Spirit empowers us, the Son is in obedience, and he invites us to follow him in obedience, and the Father looks over at his children and says, I'm well pleased with you. I love you. And that's a beautiful reality of a picture of the family of God. And we got to see it in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we saw that Jesus taught different than the other teachers. And there was a unique thing that was different about Jesus. And this thing is probably the reason why his disciples didn't wait around when he called them. They didn't just add him to one of the things going on in their life, one of the spokes and the wheels of their balanced life. They actually followed him immediately when he called. They actually made everything else secondary to him. 
and they immediately got on mission with his mission. Now, why did they do that? He wasn't just a good teacher like you found in college or in your high school. He was a teacher with, chapter 2 says, authority. And he spoke with authority, which means he didn't beg you to follow him. And he operated in the power of authority. And he was freeing the oppressed. And they said, whoa, a teacher with authority. And I think, you know, just a little review of last week, I think the fact that in our culture we stripped away the authority of Jesus is one of the reasons we can take Jesus or leave him. It's one of the reasons we can say things like, I'm a Christian, but that doesn't have to do with anything in my life. I don't have to be on mission. He could be one of the, the balanced pieces of my life. Right? I don't have to, you know, if he says something in here that's a command, if he says something in this word that's supposed to challenge my life, I don't have to live under submission to that. I don't have to do that. And that's because we have a Jesus with no authority. If he has no authority, then you don't have to do what he says. You can read it. You can say, I didn't like it. Or maybe I can make it more confusing so that it doesn't say what I know it really says. And I can do what I want. But if he comes with authority, he's inviting us into his life, his way. And he's saying, we have a mission. And I think in a lot of our culture, authority in general, we don't like it. We're, we're, we're the very much, I'm my own man, I do my own thing. So the fact that there would be a king that would show up on the scene and he would say, I'm the king, I'm the Lord, let's go. That's kind of jarring to us. And so we've actually, I think, in the American church, we've sold a different Jesus. Because a different Jesus who doesn't have any authority is a Jesus we can all accept. Why wouldn't you accept him? Put him in, put him in you know, you got your psychic, you got your Jesus, and you got whatever other spiritual thing you want. None of them have authority. You do what you want. Our Jesus has authority. And so when he calls, people follow. And when they follow, they get on mission. And if they don't follow, you know what they generally do? They fight him. There's not normally an in-between. Because when you have authority, it's either like, hey, we're going, or you oppose me. There's not normally a lot of, like, gray ground in between that. But if he doesn't have any authority, then sure, you can take him, and you can take whatever else you want spiritually, because you're just doing what you want. Right? And so that was week two, and I think that was really helpful for us. Uh, week three uh, brings us into the end of chapter one. What we have in chapter, at the very end of this chapter, is we have two individuals that Jesus encounters, and they're bookends to Jesus speaking to the crowds. And you, and you get a sense, uh, interestingly enough, that Jesus is not interested in having a celebrity status. That seems kind of weird to our culture, because that's all we want. I mean, we're all, I mean, I don't know about, maybe not we all, I shouldn't generalize all of us, but it seems like in our culture, the driving impulse of our culture is to be known. I mean, come on. I mean, I check how many, I, I did this the other day, but I, not just the other day, I do it all the time. I check to see if I had any new followers on Instagram, if my number's been climbing. I, I'll have you know, I have, have 2,300 Facebook friends. 2,300 Facebook friends. Uh, it was so, I, I began to go through them, and I knew so few of them, I started just deleting people I didn't know. Um, I'm sorry if you got deleted. I, I didn't mean to do that. It might have been an accident. I might not have recognized your picture or something. But uh, it was crazy because I spent an hour, I spent an hour deleting people I didn't recognize, and I still had 2,300 Facebook friends. 
okay? And many of them are people that I don't even know that well or don't even really, maybe even, I don't know, like, but I didn't want to hurt their feelings, so I kept them as friends. Do anybody think like I think with your social media? I mean, we're, but we're always trying to push out our influence. We're always trying to build our celebrity status in some way. And now with all this media, we can do it. We can gain followers. We can create a, a platform. You know, now when you listen to podcasting and you people, everyone's building their platform that they're standing on and who they're speaking to. And Jesus doesn't seem concerned with that. So what happens in this passage is you have a, an individual he encounters on the front end of the passage, and you're going to find an individual he encounters on the back end of the passage, and the only people he seems frustrated with is the big group in the middle, which is where you think he'd be having the most fun. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus is doing here. So let's check this out. Um, chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus had just left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon, who is Peter, and Andrew with, with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And she came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That's the first individual. So Jesus goes to a house. It's one of the houses of the mother-in-law of one of his disciples. And she's sick and she's about to die. And Jesus unceremoniously heals her. No applause, no clapping. She doesn't say anything. There is not a line for her to say. She gets up and what does she immediately do? She serves. You know, I was just, just this is not really the sermon, but I just thought I'd throw this out there. But how many times has God shown out for us? That didn't result in us serving? I mean, be serious. How many times has God shown up? And maybe even you were like, God showed up. Wow. I need to tell people God came through. Where are we going to lunch? I can get back to life as normal. It's great. God came through, paid the bill, got healed, something happened, you know, and let's go back to normal. How many times has God come through and our direct response was not this woman? She just started serving Jesus. That ought to be the natural thing that happens, but how come it's not what always happens? Um, so you have this little front end. She begins to serve. And then that evening at sundown, now remember, he's still at the house where he healed her. At sundown, they, the people, begin to bring all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole, listen to this, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Revival has come. The crowds are gathered. Jesus' ministry is successful. By all human standards, the door, they're gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he wouldn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Just a little sidebar. You already know what they knew if you go back up in chapter 1. They know he's the Holy One of Israel. They know he's the Messiah. Now, here's, here's a, just an interesting thing. Again, not the big idea for the sermon this morning, but uh, demons don't care if Jesus grows a crowd. They don't care. They don't even care if Jesus is recognized as the Jewish Messiah because most Jews believed that the Jewish Messiah would overthrow Rome. And the demons don't care if that's what happens. You see... They don't care if natural Israel is restored. They don't care if Rome is kicked out of power. The one thing demons don't want is they don't want the crowds to put Jesus on a cross. 
And that's the very thing Jesus came to do. So why is he shutting down the demons? Because the demons are hoping they can play a game of getting the name out of who this Messiah is, this hero, this Jewish hero is on the scene. Because they're kind of hoping Jesus will take the bait and he'll rise up to national power, overthrow Rome, and not go to a cross. You see? See, you got to be careful sometimes when, when we begin that things are working well for us. You know, people like us. Things are going in our direction and think people are approving of us. You got to be careful. It may not be the purpose and the work of Jesus. And Jesus kind of, he knows that the crowds are not the end game. Now, is Jesus against the crowd? No. He feeds the 5,000. He will gather the crowds to teach them. In fact, you'll see the crowds coming to Christ in Acts chapter 2. So it's not like Jesus is anti-crowd. But I tell you what he is. He's anti-anything that would slow down the mission. And sometimes the crowd slows down the mission. Gatherers who aren't goers slow down the mission. Gatherers who aren't goers become concerned about anything that doesn't entertain them. Gatherers who aren't goers become very selfish people. Is the music my style? Are things going my way? Is the sermon too long? You know, did that scratch my itch? Gatherers who aren't goers become very selfish people and they slow down the mission. Gathering is great. When the word goes out, when Jesus is taught, a community will be gathered always. And new people should always be gathered to the person and work of Jesus. But when gathering stops going, Jesus ain't a part of that. And he ain't into that. And so here you go. You have these crowds, and they're gathered around. He won't let the demons speak. And then it says in verse 35, very early in the morning, instead of celebrating his success as someone who has now gathered a crowd, he gets up early in the morning while it's still dark, and he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Oh, hey, why do we do prayer meetings here every once in a while? Because it seems like Jesus prayed and needed to pray. Like he needed to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So he went to pray. And then if we don't do it at all, what are we saying? Are we better than Jesus? Well, I think we, we think that sometimes. But he prays. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Yeah, they want more healings done. They want more demons cast out. They want more lame people walking, more blind people seeing. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, what? Let's go to the next town. He already has a successful ministry. Why is he going to the next town? And then he says what he says, that I might preach there, for that is why I came out. Jesus could have had a very successful ministry and never left that first town. That's not why he came. He came to go to the next town and then to the next town, which is why when he gathered his disciples, he said, you're going to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then what'd they do? Jerusalem's hopping, man. Go to read Acts again. We taught through the whole book. Jerusalem is happening. People are gathered to God. It's a party. What do they not want to do? They don't want to go to Samaria. They don't want to go to Judea. So what's God have to do? He goes, hey, I know this party's a lot of fun. This gathering's a really good time. But I'm going to bring some pressure on you that will push you to the next town. I, I just want to say as an aside, if you're under some pressure today, it could be that God has somewhere he wants you to go. 
There's got to be something else he wants you to do. And he might be applying some pressure in your life that makes this spot you're in right now very uncomfortable. And he may just want you to take a step in another direction. And that's just the way he tends to work. And so he goes to the next town, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then here's the individual, all of it, out of nothing, this individual steps onto the scene. And all of a sudden, Mark kind of switches his focus. Jesus heals the woman in the house, then he's dealing with the crowds, and he's healing them. He's got to go to the next town. And on his way, as he's going from town to town, he runs into, in verse 40, a leper. And this leper came to him imploring him, begging him, other translations say, came begging and imploring and kneeling. In other words, took himself to a low place before this guy that he saw healing other people. And he came before him and he said, if you will, which is a very... Uh, the, the, uh, this translation got a little stilted on this, trying to stay with as literal as possible. If you will, he's basically saying, if you want to, if you desire to, okay, if you want to, just pause for a second. You imagine you've been hearing this guy healing all over the place, and, and you're a leper. We're going to talk about a leper for a second. But you come to the leper, and this is, how you, this is how you come to Jesus. You say, if you want to, if it would be anywhere in your heart, if you think maybe you'd like to, I think you could heal me. Did you hear that? If you want to. In other words, I don't, I don't know if you do. I don't know about your heart. I don't know if inside of your heart you would like to do this, but if you would like to do it, if maybe somewhere in your heart you might have something in your heart that would, you would enjoy maybe making me clean, I think you have the power to do it. Do you understand how those two realities bump up against one another? Has that ever bumped up for you? God is all-powerful, but I'm not sure what his heart is toward me in my brokenness. Have you ever encountered that? Like, God is all-powerful. It seems like he does what he wants. He seems like he is, as far as the Bible says, he is sovereign over the universe, all-powerful and all-wise, and he holds everything together. You're all-powerful. Do you want to make me whole? Seems to be the heart of the leper. Now, now, why would he have that question? Why would he wonder about the heart of Jesus? You know, we don't, we don't see a lot of lepers anymore. I just went to some WebMD just to give you a little background. I know WebMD is where you go if you got, like, something you can't tell. and You go to see it because you don't want to go to the doctor because we don't trust doctors anymore. Okay, that's an aside. Um, WebMD uh, says this about lepers. Check this out. It's an, it primarily affects the skin. Uh, and the nerves outside the brain and the spinal cord, okay? So it's, it's affecting the nervous system. Uh, and it might strike the eyes and the uh, thin tissue lining the outside of the nose. In other words, uh, if it hits you, your nose would start to bleed regularly, right? Um, your eyes might start going bad. You don't have the muscle to keep your eyes uh, open. 
Um, it would cause some disfiguring, some skin sores, lumps, or bumps that don't go away after several weeks. Go back to the slide before that, Michael. Uh, check this out. Um, it would cause these skin sores, uh, but would also, and here's what's interesting, is it would be surrounded by terrifying negative stigmas. Terrifying negative stigmas. And here was the main stigma. The stigma was if you touched a leper, you got leprosy. Okay, that's one of them. The other one is because of the way it disfigured you with sores and because you get your, your nerve endings are going bad, you would begin to hurt yourself but not know you hurt yourself. And then your, your hand would start looking deformed and then your foot would look deformed or your face would start looking deformed. And then you look like some kind of monster. And because you don't know in that time in the world why that's happening, you begin to associate physical deformity with what? Sin and spiritual deformity. So now you've got someone who looks physically like a monster. You're worried that if you touch the person, you're going to get it. Okay? And so what happens? What are the results of that? Well, you're generally abandoned by all your loved ones. Now, they might come out maybe, a, you know, several hundred yards away and put some food out like you're a dog. You know, I don't want you to starve to death. Your community kicks you out. You can't have a job anymore. You can't be in the community anymore, right? You're totally pushed away. You look like a monster. Talk about body image issues. We talk about body image issues in our culture. Talk about having a body image. Every time you show up, people don't want to look at you, and they go the other direction. You know, hey, I think I can get over being too short. I think I can get over the fact that maybe no matter how hard I work out, I can't seem to get a six-pack. I think I can get over it. No one ever looks at me and goes, ah! Yet. It hasn't happened. It's going to, Gaffney boys are going to try it on me now, though. I can tell. So, so they're, they're pushed out. They're just completely pushed out. And, and here's, I think, you know, you see the power of Jesus if you're the leper. And it's undeniable. But even in that power, you, you got a couple things going on in your life that doubt the heart of Jesus. For example, this powerful guy that showed up on the scene and is preaching the good news of Jesus, where has he been for the last 35 years of my life? Where has he been? I mean, I've been separated from my family for years now. I've been suffering for years now. I've been pushed out and abused and abandoned for years. Where has this guy been on the planet? Oh, so God shows up now? Great. He didn't show up when my brother died. He didn't show up when we were struggling with cancer. He, where was he? And stuff like that can make you really wonder about the heart of God toward you. Okay, so he shows up now and he's here, but where is, where is he? That's why what Thelma said was so powerful. Because we, if, we're, if we're honest, we're, we battle with that all the time. If we're honest. Now, if you're not honest and you're like, oh, I trust God no matter what. You know, God bless you. For the rest of us, this is a real challenge of our heart. Do we trust the heart of God here? Can we trust that he wants to? We know he's powerful. We trust that he wants to. And here's the other thing that I think is in play with this guy. Um, when people your whole life have treated you like an untouchable, you begin to think that God would treat you that way too. When your whole life you've been treated like nothing, 
And we, we see this all the time, right? We see people who go from bad relationship to bad relationship to bad relationship. And if you ever get down and level with them, what will they tell you? I've been treated bad my whole life. That's all I really deserve. And sometimes you begin to project on the heart of God the way other people have treated you your whole life. Treated like you're a nothing. Treated like you don't have any value. So then you look at God and you go, well, man, maybe that's the way God feels about me. You know, I, I saw this meme and I put it up on the screen here and I think it's really powerful and it's a really good, uh, it's a really good check for those of us who follow Jesus. And with the meme said, I'm not sure Jesus loved me when people who follow him don't like me. How can, I, I'm not sure Jesus loves me if the people who follow him don't seem to even like me. It's, we're not talking about they agree with me. We're not talking about whether we have the same opinions politically or the same p opinions about, you know, decisions that are being made. We're just saying, do you like them? And how, and how can someone, when you get, hey, Jesus loves you, but all they ever hear is you're wrong, you're bad, you're, you're awful, you're, you're gone, get out of here. I don't want you around here. See, we gotta, be, we gotta even be really careful the way we press into truth issues. Because the way we press into truth issues can communicate the person we're talking to is an enemy, not a person we want to see healed, freed, restored. And there's a lot to do with how we say it. But if someone doesn't feel like you like them, and then you try to tell them about Jesus, how are they going to put any confidence that Jesus loves them? I just think it's a good check for us. So this guy comes to Jesus, and he knows the power of Jesus, but he doesn't know the heart of Jesus. And Jesus is going to come through. Jesus isn't, by the way, he isn't going to explain why he didn't show up 40 years earlier. You may wonder why Jesus hasn't shown up 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 30 years ago. And I just want you to know, Jesus may never tell you why. He may never explain that. But I tell you what Jesus will do and what he will say. And here's what he says to the leper. Check this out. He goes, I want to. I will. I love that. It says he was moved deeply. He was moved deeply by the brokenness of the leper. The ESV says with pity, the, uh, uh, the New Living says he was moved with compassion. The message says he was moved deep in his soul. He was moved with compassion. And he said, I want to. I just, I, I'm about to be done here. And, Jacob can come back up, but, but here's some three realities I want us to rest in this morning. Jesus wants to make us whole. He wants to make us whole. Now, whether he will make you completely whole today, or whether he'll make you completely whole when he returns, he wants to make you and I whole. And he is working in our lives to bring us back to complete wholeness. That's what he's doing. He wants to make us whole. The second is, Jesus has compassion for every area of brokenness, fear, insecurity, or damage you and I have ever gone through. He has deep compassion. He is deeply moved in his soul when he sees our brokenness. 
We're his creatures. We can't, we can't forget that. We're his creatures. We were made by the breath of God. We were spoke into existence by God himself. He is deeply moved when he sees our pain. He is deeply, deeply moved. And then the last thing, we can come to him with full confidence. You see, we don't have to be like the leper and wonder if we can. The leper creeps up on Jesus. He creeps up on Jesus. He gets low before Jesus. He's like, if you would like to, if you want to, if you can find it in your heart somewhere for me, maybe, would you like to make me clean, God? I don't know. Got a lot of insecurity here. I'm not really sure. I'm lovable to you. I'm not sure. But we can come with full confidence through the work of Jesus. See, there's this beautiful thing. The mysterious writer of Hebrews says, see, see, Jesus, Jesus is the reason we can have full confidence. And so if you don't know Jesus and you see the power of God, you're always going to wonder if you have confidence to go near God. But Jesus changes the ballgame. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter in the holy places, what's the holy place? That's the perfect place. You go, check, I'm not perfect. We're going to find out for a second that you and I can enter into the holy place. We can be in the presence of God with full confidence. How? Why? What allows us to be in the holy place? with a holy God. Here's what he says. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. See, the leper didn't know the new and living way, did he? He didn't know the new and living way. He thought the old, what's the old way? Clean up your life, make it right, get the sacrifices, make sure the priest approves of you, measure up to God. And if you measure up to God, maybe this, the priest will put a sacrifice on your behalf and he'll love you and accept you because you, you measured up. And he goes, but there's a new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain. That's through his flesh, through the flesh of Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, this is Jesus, what's he say in verse 22? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, with our hearts, what? Sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with pure water. We step confidently with every bit of our brokenness toward Jesus, knowing with confidence his heart is to make us whole. And why? Because he sprinkled our hearts with his blood and he's washed us clean. And we enter into the holy place through the new and living way. And his name is Jesus. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know him. Because you're going to try to do a lot of work. You're going to try to do a lot of work to try to measure up. And you're always going to wonder if you're good enough. And I just want you to know Jesus has made a new and living way for you to be fully accepted. Through a cross. So I want to invite you. We're going to respond in worship. 
I want to I want to invite you. I want everybody to close your eyes for a second. If you need to know Jesus, and if you show up with, and you're in this place, and you've got body image issues or insecurities, or you're battling with depression, or you're battling with just whatever it is you could be going through, and, and you kind of feel like an untouchable, you feel like a nobody, and maybe even Christians have made you feel like you're not really liked by them. I just want you to know Jesus likes you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you. And he's made a way for you to be made whole. He wants you to be made whole. And he did it, and he accomplished the opportunity through the cross. So, with your eyes closed, if you want to put your confidence in Jesus, I want you to pray after me. You don't have to do it out loud, or you can if you want to, but here's, here's the simple prayer. Jesus, are you willing to make me clean. Because if you are, then I want to put my trust in you. And I want to experience what happens when you pour out your forgiveness and your grace on my life. And I want to be made whole. And I want to follow you. And I want to trust you 